Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. It's Christmas Eve on today's Beeson Podcast, and I have a special treat for you today. It is a sermon preached on Christmas Eve, December the 24th, in 1871 by the incomparable Charles Haddon Spurgeon. How I wish that we had a recording of him preaching this sermon. What a blessing it would be to hear his voice. But we do have his words. They've been preserved for us along with so many other sermons he gave. And this is a sermon called Joy Born at Bethlehem. And it was preached at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London based on this familiar text that we hear so often at this season of the year, Luke 2, 10 through 12. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. In this text, we have before us the sermon of the first evangelist under the gospel dispensation. The preacher was an angel, and it was meet it should be so. For the grandest and last of all evangels will be proclaimed by an angel when he shall sound the trumpet of the resurrection, and the children of regeneration shall rise into the fullness of their joy. The keynote of this angelic gospel is Joy, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Nature fears in the presence of God. The shepherds were sore afraid. The law itself served to deepen this natural feeling of dismay. Seeing men were sinful and the law came into the world to reveal sin, its tendency was to make men fear and tremble under any and every divine revelation. The Jews unanimously believed that if any man beheld supernatural appearances, he would surely die. So that what nature dictated, the law and the general beliefs of those under it also abetted. But the first word of the gospel ended all this. For the angelic evangelist said, Fear not, behold I bring you good tidings. Henceforth it is to be no dreadful thing for man to approach his Maker. Redeemed man is not to fear when God unveils the splendor of his majesty, since he appears no more a judge upon his throne of terror, but a father unbending in sacred familiarity before his own beloved children. The joy which this first gospel preacher spoke was of no mean one, for he said, I bring you good tidings. That alone were joy. Not good tidings of joy only, but good tidings of great joy. Every word is emphatic, as if to show that the gospel is, above all things, intended to promote and will most abundantly create the greatest possible joy 
in the human heart, wherever it is received. Man is like a harp unstrung, and the music of his soul's living strings is discordant. His whole nature wails with sorrow. But the son of David, that mighty harper, has come to restore the harmony of humanity. And where his gracious fingers move among the strings, the touch of the fingers of an incarnate God brings forth music sweet as that of the spheres and melody rich as a seraph's canticle. Would God that all men felt that divine hand. The joy which is mentioned in our text, whence comes it, and what is it? We have already said it is a great joy, good tidings of great joy. Earth's joy is small, her mirth is trivial. But heaven has sent us joy immeasurable, fit for immortal minds. Inasmuch as no note of time is appended, and no intimation is given, that the message will ever be reversed. We may say that it is a lasting joy, a joy which will ring down all the ages, and echoes of which shall be heard until the trumpet brings the resurrection, aye, and onward, forever and forever. For when God sent forth the angel in his brightness to say, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. He did as much as say, From this time forth it shall be joy to the sons of men. There shall be peace to the human race and goodwill toward men forever and ever, as long as there is glory to God in the highest. O oh, blessed thought! The star of Bethlehem shall never set. Jesus, the fairest among ten thousand, the most lovely among the beautiful, is a joy forever. But why is that coming of Christ into the world an occasion of joy? The answer is as follows. First, because it is evermore a joyous fact that God should be in alliance with man, especially when the alliance is so near that God should in very deed take our manhood into union with his Godhead so that God and man should constitute one divine, mysterious person. Sin had separated between God and man, but the Incarnation bridges the separation. It is a prelude to the atoning sacrifice, but it is a prelude full of the richest hope. From henceforth, when God looks upon man, he will remember that his own Son is a man. From this day forth, when he beholds the sinner... If his wrath should burn, he will remember that his own son, as man, stood in the sinner's place and bore the sinner's doom. As in the case of war, the feud is ended when the opposing parties intermarry, so there is no more war between God and man, because God has taken man into intimate union with himself. Herein, then, was the cause for joy. But there was more than that, for the shepherds were aware that there had been promises made of old, which had been the hope and comfort of believers in all ages, and they were now to be fulfilled. There was that ancient promise made on the threshold of Eden to the first sinners of our race, that the seed of the woman should bruise the serpent's head. And another promise made to the father of the faithful, that in his seed should all nations of the earth be blessed and promises uttered by the mouths of the prophets and of saints since the world began. 
Now the announcement of the angel of the Lord to the shepherds was a declaration that the covenant was fulfilled, that now in the fullness of time God would redeem his word, and the Messiah, who was to be Israel's glory and the world's hope, was now really come. Be glad, ye heavens! Be joyful, O earth! For the Lord hath done it, and in mercy hath he visited his people. The Lord hath not suffered his word to fail, but hath fulfilled unto his people his promises. The time to favor Zion, yea, the set time is come. Now that the scepter is departed from Judah, behold, the Shiloh comes, the messenger of the covenant suddenly appears in his temple. But the angel's song had in it yet fuller reason for joy. For our Lord who was born in Bethlehem came as a Savior. Unto you is born this day a Savior. God had come to earth before, but not as a Savior. Remember that terrible coming when there went three angels into Sodom at nightfall. For the Lord said, I will go now and see whether it is altogether according to the cry thereof. He had come as a spy to witness human sin and as an avenger to lift his hand to heaven and bid the red fire descend and burn up the accursed cities of the plain. Horror to the world when God thus descends. If Sinai smokes when the law is proclaimed, the earth itself shall melt when the breaches of the law are punished. But now not as an angel of vengeance, but as a man in mercy God has come. Not to spy out our sin, but to remove it. Not to punish guilt, but to forgive it. The Lord might have come with thunderbolts in both hands. He might have come like Elias to call fire from heaven, but no, his hands are full of gifts of love, and his presence is a guarantee of grace. The babe born in the manger might have been another prophet of tears or another son of thunder, but he was not so. He came in gentleness, his glory and his thunder alike laid aside. T'was mercy filled the throne and wrath stood silent by when Christ on the kind errand came to sinners doomed to die. Rejoice, ye who feel you are lost, your Savior comes to seek and save you. Be of good cheer, ye who are in prison, for he has come to set you free. Ye who are famished and ready to die, rejoice that he has consecrated for you a Bethlehem, a house of bread. He has come to be the bread of life to your souls. Rejoice, O sinners, everywhere, for the restorer of the castaways, the Savior of the fallen, is born. Join in the joy, ye saints, for he is the preserver of the saved ones, delivering them from innumerable perils, and he is the sure perfecter of such as he preserves. Jesus is no partial Savior, beginning a work and not concluding it, but restoring and upholding. He also perfects and presents the saved ones without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, before his Father's throne. Rejoice aloud, all ye people. Let your hills and valleys ring with joy. 
for a Savior who is mighty to save is born among you. Nor was this all the holy mirth, for the next word has also in it a fullness of joy, a Savior who is Christ, or the anointed. Our Lord was not an amateur Savior who came down from heaven upon an unauthorized mission, but He was chosen, ordained, and anointed of God. He could truly say, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me. Here is a great comfort for all such as need a Savior. It is to them no mean consolation that God has Himself authorized Christ to save. There can be no fear of a jar between the mediator and the judge, no peril of a non-acceptance of our Savior's work, because God has commissioned Christ to do what He has done. And in saving sinners, he is only executing his Father's own will. Christ is here called the anointed. All his people are anointed. And there were priests after the order of Aaron who were anointed. But he is the anointed. Anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. So plenteously anointed that like the unction upon Aaron's head... The sacred anointing of the head of the church distills in copious streams, till we who are like the skirts of his garment are made sweet with the rich perfume. He is the anointed in a threefold sense, as prophet to preach the gospel with power, as priest to offer sacrifice, and as king to rule and reign. In each of these he is preeminent, he is such a teacher, priest, and ruler as was never seen before. In him was a rare conjunction of glorious offices, for never did prophet, priest, and king meet in one person before among the sons of men, nor shall it ever be again. Triple is the anointing of him, who is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, a prophet like unto Moses, and a king of whose dominion there is no end. In the name of Christ, the Holy Ghost is glorified by being seen as anointing the incarnate God. Truly, dear brethren, if we did but understand all this and receive it into our hearts, our souls would leap for joy on this Sabbath day to think that there is born unto us a Savior who is anointed of the Lord. One more note, and this is the loudest, let us sound it well and hear it well, which is Christ the Lord. Now the word Lord or Kurios is used here tantamount to Jehovah. We cannot doubt that because it is the same word used twice in the ninth verse, and in the ninth verse none can question that it means Jehovah. Hear it. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And if this be not enough, read the 23rd verse. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth a womb shall be called holy of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord here assuredly refers to Jehovah, the one God, and so it must do here. Our Savior is Christ, God. Jehovah. No testimony to his divinity could be plainer. It is indisputable. 
and what joy there is in this. For suppose an angel had been our Savior. He would not have been able to bear the load of my sin or yours. Or if anything less than God had been set up as the ground of our salvation, it might have been found too frail a foundation. But if he who undertakes to save is none other than the infinite and the almighty, then the load of our guilt can be carried upon his shoulders. The stupendous labor of our salvation can be achieved by such a worker, and that with ease, for all things are possible with God. And he is able to save to the uttermost them that come to God by him. Ye sons of men, perceive ye here the subject of your joy. The God who made you and against whom you have offended has come down from heaven and taken upon himself your nature that he might save you. He has come in the fullness of his glory and the infinity of his mercy that he might redeem you. Do you not welcome this news? What? Will you not open your hearts and be thankful for this? Does this matchless love awaken no gratitude? Were it not for this divine Savior, your life here would have been wretchedness, and your future existence would have been endless woe. Oh, I pray you, adore the incarnate God and trust in Him. Then will you bless the Lord for delivering you from the wrath to come. And as you lay hold of Jesus and find salvation in His name, you will tune your songs to His praise and exult with sacred joy. So much concerning this joy. I say then to you who would know the only true peace and lasting joy, Come ye, come ye to the babe of Bethlehem. In after days the man of sorrows, the substitutionary sacrifice for sinners. Come, ye little children, ye boys and girls, come ye, for he also was a boy. The holy child Jesus is the children's Savior, and saith still, Suffer the little children to come to be, and forbid them not. Come hither, ye maidens, you are still in the morning of your beauty. And like Mary, rejoice in God your Savior. The virgin bore him on her bosom. So come ye and bear him in your hearts, saying, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And you, ye men, in the plenitude of your strength, remember how Joseph cared for him and watched with reverent solicitude his tender years. Be you to his cause as a father and a helper. Sanctify your strength to his service. And ye women advanced in years, ye matrons and widows, come like Anna and bless the Lord that you have seen the salvation of Israel. And ye whoreheads who like Simeon are ready to depart, come ye and take the Savior in your arms, adoring him as your Savior and your all. Ye shepherds, ye simple-hearted who toil for your daily bread, come and adore the Savior, and stand not back, ye wise men, ye who know by experience and who by meditation peer into deep truth. Come ye, and like the sages of the East, bow low before his presence, 
and make it your honor to pay honor to Christ the Lord. For my own part, the incarnate God is all my hope and trust. I have seen the world's religion at the fountainhead, and my heart has sickened within me. I come back to preach by God's help, yet more earnestly the gospel, the simple gospel of the Son of Man. Jesus, Master, I take thee to be mine forever. May all in this house, through the rich grace of God, be led to do the same. And may they all be thine, great Son of God, in the day of thine appearing, for thy love's sake. Amen. You've been listening to an excerpt from a sermon by Charles Haddon Spurgeon, originally preached in London, England at the Great Metropolitan Tabernacle on Christmas Eve in 1879. Now I wish you and your family and all of your loved ones, wherever they are, a blessed and wondrous Christmas in the joy of Him who came, who comes, and is yet to come again. Jesus Christ the Lord. And so on behalf of Beeson Divinity School and all of our faculty and staff and students, may the Spirit of Christ be with you in a special way this evening and tomorrow on Christmas Day itself. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.